folks, we're leaving Zans in 2017. Thank you. No, it's it's so funny watching the conservative freak out over the response to Kevin Williamson being hired by the Atlantic and all of them saying, my God, the brightest conservative voices of our generation, the, 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 the liberal no platformers are going to go after to ensure that they have nowhere they can write for. Like the everyone who is like politically active when they were like 16 had a face where they read the Atlantic and read like you know, the the brave new age of uh, IQ vote testing by Andrew Sullivan or whatever. And it's like, no, this is like exactly as shitty as the Atlantic is. But it is funny that uh, everyone is pretending that Kevin D. Williamson should have any job except being the host of a sort of medieval time spinoff where it's Dracula's castle. Yeah. And he gives you a big chicken leg. Yeah. It's really the, the there's a double edged sword with criticizing something like a, a, a Williamson hire by the Atlantic. Because on the one hand, you want to point out. This is horrifying. Why are you platforming this maniac, this drooling Bond villain who wants to bring back Hoovervilles and forced abortion and, you know, forced childbirth at gunpoint? What, what, what does that say about the range of opinion? You know, that what's, there's no left comparable voice you could have on that would equal Kevin Williamson on the right. And it's unfair. And that's one true point. But it misses a larger point, which is the fucking Atlantic Monthly is neoliberal Dabiq. It is like a fundamentalist psychotic rag devoted single-mindedly to this death ideology. And everything is going to serve that end from to Hennessy Coates' stuff about race to Williamson to fucking Connor Frozendorf talking about fucking free speech and space spaces uh, to fucking uh, uh, Sh- Sh- Sullivan showing up every once in a while to bust out the fucking calipers for race science. <laughs> they all serve the same agenda. And that means that the idea of of a of a Atlantic that was truly balanced is meaningless because that's not what the function of that media organ is. Well, yeah, that's it. I don't really care about the sanctity of the Atlantic's editorial stance or whether or not uh, even uh, uh, Williamson can disseminate his ideas. I just think personally that Kevin Williamson should be destitute in a just society. He should have no property and no job whatsoever. So we're in San Francisco right now. It's our last day here. And just earlier I was walking down the street and and a bearded man sitting on a stoop started yelling at me about Pol Pot. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, we're going the way of the Khmer Rouge and soon there's going to be piles of skulls. And I thought to myself, hmm, okay, this guy should, in a just world, trade places with Kevin D. Williamson. <laughs> and it should be him writing for The Atlantic and Williamson sitting on a stoop in Haight-Ashbury, yelling and begging strangers to listen to his crank ideas. Yes, absolutely. Uh, all, all of these fucking bullshit publications are like, oh, we need ideological diversity, so we need to hire every single anti-Trump Republican in America. And they're close because they're inching up on like a hundred and all the big, and that's about as many as there are in America. But like, if you really, if you really wanted like ideological diversity that represented America, you would get like a bodybuilder who lives in his car you would you would, you would get Mike Cernovich, Bob Avakian, Bob Avakian. You get a black Israelite. These are all more interesting. Yeah, they, oh, these absolutely. are way more interesting. No the question. only the only places that you can uh, shake things up are gender and fucking race science. Those are the only those are the only taboos you can't break. Yeah. Everything else is fair game. No, I think my ideal political publication that does have a wide spectrum of political ideas would be run like those uh, phony homeopathic uh, science journals where they just accept everything. 
Yeah, there sh- well, sh- should be no op-ed page. There shouldn't be op-ed writers. No, the idea is ridiculous. But the idea of a, of a revolving Vox Populi where random citizens write a fucking op-ed every week for the New York Times, that would be worthwhile. Oh, that would, would like, be great. You, like the Sweden Twitter account. Yes. But not even, like they did that thing with Trump voters who were all like, you know, I'm sick of these rich liberals looking down on me. I only own a 30-store jet ski chain. I only have seven houses. I'm just doing some down-home racism. I'm the forgotten man. But if he was really representative, you'd have, like, a guy who thinks gun kata from equilibrium is real. <laughs> it would, like, barely be political, except everything is political now. Because then there would be, like, an article in one of those sites that sort of looks like Kotaku in 2014, where it's like, uh, you know, how... um the hidden problematic nature of equilibrium gun kata. <laughs> you know, how come Tay Diggs was the villain? Uh, so I was, I was sick all day yesterday. I was still under the weather. Probably sick of, sick of these jokers. That's for sure. Yeah. Well, I probably contracted something from shaking hands with all the uh, fans after the show. All the uh, urchins. Sacrifices are astounding. Wow. Oh, it might be a germ warfare type thing. Haven't ruled that out yet. Antifa involvement. Harp. Mm-hmm. Adam Waffen. They just uh, they saw you during doing journalism. So I uh, against it. So I just kind of spent the day in bed, kind of feverish, and just continuing to to boil up my brain by uh, reading these responses on Twitter. I found two great ones. Uh, first off, from a uh, toilet paper carney. <laughs> no, that guy. Oh, he deleted his. Unfortunately, they always pretend there's an acceptable conservative somewhere. Oh, just not do that. Just not McArdle. Anyone but Stevens. Williamson is literally the worst they could have picked. Murray, <laughs> Shapiro, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The point is to inflict maximum pain and to make the talented be afraid to stick their necks out. Wow, he and he just named a Mount Rushmore of talent. <laughs> I, I, I need to apple the mic here. Oh, the biggest lie about all this Kevin D. Williamson controversy is that he's a talented writer. Yeah. It, the, the idea that he like he's an excellent prose stylist. Fucking Ta-Nehisi Coates yes. said, "Hey man, if you can write, I'll read anybody." Yeah. I mean, oh, God. Dude, I, like, fuck off. That Go is, fucking draw another cartoon. Jesus Christ. Try to read any Kevin D. Williamson. We did at the LA live show, by the way. Uh, the guy is just a pretentious hack aping Bill Buckley, like, but Xeroxed a million times over. So it's like one of those memes with Shaq where his eyes are red. <laughs> uh, no, I've, I've read enough Megan McArdle to last a lifetime, and that woman is a golden retriever, uh, as you, the audience, would know. Uh, by the way, this is Will Meneker, who is uh, currently in the kitchen right by this room making dindin. Uh, how's it going, Will? Okay, the bolognese is coming along real strong. Uh, I, I got all my aromatics properly sautéed and sweated with a little pancetta. Whoa. I just added them to the big brown meat pot. Amaro. It's about to all start coming together. Oh, now we're cooking. Oh, yeah. Take that, Megan McArdle. We're outside of the Northeast, and yet we're eating delicious Italian food. Make sense of that with your science. <laughs> and the the other one I flagged that I just found so funny, I don't even really get the context of this, but it was a friend of the show, Baseball Crank, talking to other friend of the oh, show, Sarah Jones. Oh, the Baseball Crank and has base- something to say. Baseball Crank, I, 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 uh, I, I can't do the do voice. The voice. Do sick. the voice. Let's go back to your, your baseline <laughs> premise that you think it desirable for the law to allow killing people like Kevin Williamson in the, in the womb. That is... I am. Or I'm imagining Kevin D. Williamson in 
in utero already wearing a cape and a beard. Kevin Williamson was like, oh, 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 I can hear I, his mom is feeling it. They're like, oh, I can feel him playing the organ in there. Kev was the uh, b- baby on the Nirvana cover. <laughs> Sorry, w- one more comment about, about uh, Kev Man. Again, the idea, uh, the, the big controversy, the one thing that most people are latching onto is his open statement that uh, women who uh, get an abortion should be hung, should be executed for the crime of murder. Now, I happen to sort of think that, like, at least he has the balls to just go yeah. that far. As we tried to, we've, when we pressed Walther on this issue, uh, he clammed up, as almost all pro-life people yep. do, because they understand it's the one step you cannot make and still be considered a human being in our society, mm-hmm. right? And so the line is that, like, look, he's pro-life. They're trying to say, uh, is it completely beyond the bounds to be pro-life? The answer is, well, kind of yes. But uh, beyond that, what he's advocating is probably the execution of maybe 30% of all adult women in our society. Yep. So Statistically, I'd women say, in, his, in his newsroom. And, and fucking Goldberg's attitude about this is like, oh, well, you know, I believe he can grow and do better, and I think he just is an important voice to have. He's a lively voice. Yeah. He's a lively, descending voice. Hey, buddy, how about you hire somebody on your master who thinks that Israel should be wiped off the map? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Oh, dude, hire, hire, I think hire, every- hire, the, hire the Japanese uh, candidate who wore Under Armour in a kimono and <laughs> said the Jew fears the samurai hire that dude I think everyone who had a hand in planning and carrying out the Iraq war um, including Jeffrey Goldberg should be dropped out of like the helicopter them, should uh, be executed as well yes. there should be, hire me there, to the Atlantic there should be Fortnite for Iraq war boots <laughs> you know the, the trampoline in Fortnite right yeah uh, well Kev's at a disadvantage because it would not work with him <laughs> well, the, well the nice thing is like sometimes in Fortnite you see another player's reflection in the water you can figure out they're there. Not a problem with Kev. His, <laughs> no his reflections at all. Stealth advantage. Yeah, his real problem is when the sun comes back out. What do you say? Should we get it we going? Start the show. Chapo, let's go. All right. Chapo, is that what he says? That's let's what he go. says. All right. Okay. Oh, man. Chapo, let's He's go. Not giving me confidence. Chapo, let's go. 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 Hello, everyone. It's your chapel for this week. Join uh, I'm Virgil, Texas. Joining me as always, Felix Biederman, Matt Chrisman, and Will Medicare in the kitchen, who's going to pop in with some culinary information. He's for us. cooking up a storm in there. Does, do we need any liquor, by the way? Because I'm ordering cigarettes. And uh, sure. Uh, yeah, no problem. Hey, Will, no, don't put too much onions in the sauce. Uh, and again, we are still in San Francisco in the middle of our West Coast tour, having done two wonderful shows earlier this week at the Victoria. Yes, fantastic shows, fantastic crowd. We've been totally beguiled by this jewel on the bay. It really does feel like we're in that Ray Bradbury story where the people show up on the perfect village and it's all so wonderful and then they realize that, oh, they're all Martians and they're going to kill us. <laughs> Because we all know that there's some twist, there's this, there's some catch, but on first inspection, it's absolutely enchanting. 
And by the way, you are absolutely mandated to enjoy this episode because if we hear one word of negativity about it, we are giving you seven live shows in a row. Yes, only those. No other content. We're taking a fucking vacation. Uh, joining us as our San Francisco guest today is Shanti, 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 Shanti Singh, who works at the at Tenants Together and is the co-chair of the SFDSA Housing Committee. How are you? Good. I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Welcome to the West Coast Trap. Yeah. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about a little thing called housing. You yeah. all know it. You, Many of you live in uh, You know what? I'm a big fan of housing. Also, love urban development. I think they go together really well. Going spectacularly. Some of you might have heard this, but there's something of a uh, housing crunch in San Francisco. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's pretty bad. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it is the most expensive place in the United States to live. So Hachi machi. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty bad here. I think we've officially become the uh, poster child of housing crisis. Yes. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Um, generated a lot, a lot of work for uh, New York Times and Vox reporters. So I'm really glad that we could contribute there. Oh yeah, even in in Brooklyn, we are laughing at you from our unheated, rat-infested railroad apartments. Yeah, yeah. I just love the new American city where you have to make seven hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year to secure what would be like an acceptable middle class living anywhere else in America. Well, that's our middle class now. You know, uh, I think someone did a poll of some sort or something saying that uh, a, a bunch of Silicon Valley people were making like four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars a year consider themselves uh, the middle class now. They're like, you know, the middle class is really struggling. Uh, so what's the uh, so what's what's the recent history in San Francisco? How did it get here? How did it go from uh, the the hippie gay place that conservatives hated in the 60s and 70s to the uh, tech hippie gay place that conservatives hate today? Well, (laughs) 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 Well, um, so I, I, I think there's a couple things to keep in mind. One... Yeah, like I think what people think of San Francisco's housing crisis, it um, it was definitely exacerbated by the tech booms. Tech booms one and two, right? Um, we obviously are living through or adjacent to the most massive accumulation of wealth in human history. Right now, in California alone, there's 125 billionaires. They have half a trillion dollars between them. But uh, where do they live? Can we post the addresses in the? Uh uh, for this well, episode. Mark Zuckerberg has his like sort of a, a fortress of solitude or, or whatever he built uh, actually right near Dolores Park, which is a really popular tourist destination and also also uh, kind of like the hotbed of gentrification in the middle of the city. Um, so some of them around here, a bunch of them live. So we're in Haight-Ashbury right now. A bunch of them live probably possibly around here, but also like uh, Pack Heights is uh, Pacific Heights is a big neighborhood and it's kind of a used to be kind of old money. Like there's like Gettys there and stuff, but now it's kind of, you know, the Gettys are living next door to like, you know, the farm bill guy and, and, and all of that <laughs> stuff. But that's not, I'm not lying about that. Where'd you make I'm your money? Sure agriculture? <laughs> <laughs> I went long on pork bellies. <laughs> Digital pork bellies. The, the Candy Crush guy and the Farmville guy are like uh, the J.P. Morgan and John D. Rockefeller, yep. the New Age. Yeah, yep. the Daniel Plainview of Zynga games. <laughs> <laughs> There's an ocean of content under our feet. I abandoned my notifications. <laughs> well, I was really waiting for the first like Juicero IPO based like mansion purchase, and I'm really really upset that that fell through. So I'm glad that they're on the raw water kick now. Maybe that'll go somewhere. So I wonder if like people here are like rappers and they're just always bragging about like their last failed venture and they're like 
Bro, I haven't even spent my Juicero money. I'm on to the next stupid thing. A swing set for adults. <laughs> so, that isn't a sa- Sabian. <laughs> so all the tech people who work and they made their wealth in the south end of the Bay, like San Jose, Palo Alto, Cupertino, places like that, they go out and they buy houses in San Francisco proper. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, obviously, too, there's like tech workers here. They're building a lot of new construction in South Market called Soma. It's a neighborhood. There's a lot of office buildings there. So, for example, there's a new one that just got built, 181 Fremont. It's not even done, but Facebook already bought all of it so they can have a, a headquarters in San Francisco. Uh, so it, it's not finished. But uh, but but one of the things that I wanted to kind of bring up, too, is like this kind of struggle between like real estate capital having a stranglehold on our political establishment and, you know, sort of a, a radical left uh, tenant driven movement has actually been there long before the tech boom. And like those are the kind of battle lines that we're still fighting on today. Uh, if you are a normal and you move to San Francisco from anywhere in the country, chances are you're not moving to San Francisco proper, right? You're going to Oakland. Yeah, I mean, at this point, a lot of people want to live in San Francisco yeah. and in Oakland, right? Part of the whole phenomenon of what we saw is like creative class development. I mean, you guys live in Brooklyn, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's and people want to move places that are we'll you know, you, there. Urban. You can't, <laughs> but if you want to move to the New York City area, you you can't move to Manhattan anywhere below like 170th Street, basically, unless yeah, you yeah. had a very high income. Yeah. But yeah. it's it's a it's a grim new future where you know everyone moves to the big city to make it, and by make it they mean like do exposure DJ sets. Well, did you see that one of the the tech solutions to this crisis, the disruptive tech solution, is to reinvent Soviet Soviet era cooperative apartments? Did you see this? There's an article about how there's a new development where you spend like twenty five hundred dollars a month. To live in a dorm. Oh, I saw that. Yeah, yes. it looks like Warrens, basically. Yeah, and this, that that they're they're communalizing it, but in this like rapacious uh, capitalist framework. They're also building it in the in some of the one of San Francisco's poorest neighborhoods. It's a historically immigrant neighborhood, a historically black neighborhood. It is where most of the low income subsidized housing in the city is. So it is kind of funny that like that they're uh, that they're doing it there, but. Yeah, there was also, a, I think, I forget which tech company it was now. I wish I remembered. It was, it was Google or Facebook or one of the big ones in kind of like the peninsula, but they wanted to, uh, they were, they're starting to build worker housing on campus. Building company towns. Company yeah. towns are back, baby. We talked about it's, this. It's feudalism. You reinvented yes, feudalism. Talk, it's, it's feudalism, but what with the infantilizing nature. Right. That's part of tech culture. It's baby feudalism. Yeah, exactly. I'm it's, a sort of baby. Who's a good little surf? Right, right. <laughs> who's a good little, who's Barrett's good little serve. Yeah, you have yeah, you have a fucking company town and company score, store and company script, but also the only the in the company store you can't buy scissors that aren't childproof. <laughs> you know, you get everything has nice little bright pastel colors. Oh, you <laughs> so we also riffed on this in the live show because it's funny, they're building these company towns, and then I saw in an article uh, by, by Sarah Jones that uh, just one line in it that Facebook and Google employ Pinkertons, the literal yeah, yeah, Pinkerton detective agency. And so they're going to have company towns with Pinkerton agents roaming around monitoring your conversation. Making sure someone doesn't snitch. And we're, we're, we're six months out from uh, company script from Zuckbucks. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I, lo- I love getting 
plugged with a 38 by a Scots Irish <laughs> psychopath because I said install Linux problem solved on company grounds. <laughs> this is all very real. For the record, full disclosure, I used to work in tech, and uh, when I moved to like working in while I was like organizing on the side. And then when I finally moved to tenants' rights work full time, I literally had to like relearn how to be a person in some ways. Like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm like, oh, I, I have to go outside and, and, and like purchase my lunch. Like I could, just didn't, what? yeah. Because oh, you, you know, there's a whole thing like you get your lunch so that you don't yes. leave the office. Yeah, yeah. We went to that's the real headquarters, and it was just a treat bonanza. They got these kids in there like hamsters. Sitting in those offices probably 18 hours a day. Yeah. But then they have a constant stream of treats and snacks. Yep. So it's just like a big sleepover. And they have, they instead have, of them ringing you for surplus value like they, a fucking jizz rag. They have designated gaming areas. So yep. you, all of your metabolic needs are taken yeah. care of. You don't need to. <laughs> wait a minute. Why go home and blow off steam and then go to sleep when you can work? And then play some video games and then take a nap and then work again and then eat some fucking snacks. They had every goddamn snack on earth in that place. It's actually gotten so bad. I saw an article where it's uh, people were saying it's a SF's restaurant industry is suffering because uh, all of unless you're like going super high end, like some Michelin star shit. uh, Most of the chefs are being uh, hired away by uh, tech companies. Ah, fuck. Yeah. Just recreating the feudal feudal economy. All of the artisans and craftsmen are going to revolve around the Lord, and the only only proximity to him will give you access to their bounty. And and we're all behind the gates of these fucking gated uh, business communities that might as well be the fucking drawbridge of a goddamn castle keep. Sorry, I got to jump in here because... uh, Yesterday, we were walking around uh, Golden Gate Park. Uh, gorgeous, by the way. Gorgeous park. You, Fuck you, Central Park. Yeah, You're dog shit. Central Park, Absolute trash. Uh, pile of dung, in my I, opinion. I, I would lo- just, we need to get, when we get back, we are going through the Central Park with a monster truck. Going there, <laughs> Grave digger. Just rolling it over. <laughs> the animals in Central Park Zoo have two minutes to evacuate or else they will become victims to the new regime. Yeah. I mean, I mean I, if you if you walk from end to end, from, uh, from one end of Central Park to the other, your reward at the end of it is a fucking tortured horse being strapped <laughs> to a wagon so a some awful cart. fucking wheezing rubes can gawk at while this animal dies. Like the Turin horse. <laughs> Here you get to the end of Golden Gate Park. It's the fucking Pacific Ocean. Yeah. It is a gorgeous volcanic beach. That was that was incredible, but when right before you get to the ocean, they have they even have an old style windmill out of a Bruegel painting. Oh so we, we we finally got there yesterday and we get there, and we're sitting in front of this beautiful windmill, and Matt starts going, Folks, the mills, we're bringing them back. You're, you're not gonna believe it. They're gonna be mills in the glen. Mills in the Valley. We're going to have so much wheat and flour. Folks, the journeymen, the artisans, the masters, the apprentices, they're all working, folks. Mm-hmm. Folks, they're sending us too many apprentices. Not enough masters. We need more masters. In. Folks, we need masters, okay? If we've got this mill to really work. We want to make the mill great again. we got to have enough masters. Too many apprentices. Get out of here. I was, uh, I was laughing about uh, Charles the Accursed the other day. And you know how he was betrothed to someone, married to someone, and she like died after, like, what, like, 20 years I think of she died after she saw his penis. <laughs> yeah, too too big. Just too beautiful. Perfect dick. You they know call that- me Mr. Too Damn Perfect Dick. But anyway, his, his wife died, and he was like, they're like, how do you feel, Charles? And he goes, 
oh, that lady was nice. And that is such a Trump thing. Like when they brought Trump to the Holocaust Museum and he was like, ooh, not good. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> bad news, folks. Yeah. I have to ask, wait, real quick. Did you guys see the bison? bison. You know the how the, bison you know how, wait, do you, do you know how the bison got there? It was a gift from Diane Feinstein's husband, I believe, to her. And then he just was like, oh, happy birthday or whatever, like a uh, happy anniversary. <laughs> Here's a bunch oh of bison. Oh, my God. That's it's real. Like, that's so that's why the bison had a Confederate flag on it. Yes, yes. That's, that's why. So, <laughs> that is so fucking imperially decadent because isn't Feinstein's husband a fucking contractor with go- state and government contracts? Isn't that yes. right? Yes, something like that. He's Am I right about that? Very wealthy man. Well, th- that's it's funny. There's like a type of uh, – it predates Lean In, but there's a type of like Californian uh, Democratic – female legislator like Jane Harmon who's just like the shittiest middle of the road like Natsek Dem and then you look look them up and then it's like oh yeah their their husband is like Eric Prince's dad <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they just have all these contracts with the government uh, and, uh, that's actually a great segue into like kind of like a little bit of the history here because Diane Feinstein as you know was mayor of yeah. San Francisco yep um, so you know SF went through a lot of the same urban phenomena that other people went through. You know, the Fillmore was a historically black community that was raised through urban renewal. Um, one of the most famous uh, incidents in San Francisco housing history was the International Hotel Strike, where, you know, that part of downtown, which is just all office buildings now, used to be, um, you know, a Southeast Asian, Filipino, et cetera, like stronghold. Um, they lived in this place called the International Hotel, and they decided to just demolish it, some developer, without even knowing what they were going to put there. And, you know, it was one of the longest strikes uh, in history, like the people stayed in the building. It was a really revolutionary, really radical moment. And uh, Diane Feinstein was the one who was like, yeah, you know, bring those bulldozers in. Um, and another, a couple other things that she did was, uh, you know, the, the, that political establishment opposed rent control. They opposed vacancy control. So mm-hmm. vacancy control is like if you live in a rent control place, you have to. And then, you know, the landlord kicks you out. You can raise that back to market rate. That's because of Diane Feinstein. Jesus. Um, she tried as hard as she was real estate funded, just like our policy politicians are now and the only reason that we have rent control of any kind in San Francisco really is because there is a really infamous landlord who just kind of overreached by I guess he owned a ton of properties and he uh, he's known as the father of rent control because he just overreacted so fucking hard and there's no new rent control right because of state law yeah there's a law called uh, Costa Hawkins which is a big focus for California statewide DSA chapters and just the tenants rights movement in general shame Uh, on you Bob Costas (laughs) (laughs) Stephen Same Hawkins. You, Stephen Hawkins. <laughs> Damn it, the same joke. But what, uh, what an awful legacy by the man. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, uh, the, so we had uh, we had a, enough of a sort of people powered movement, and it was really interesting. The tenant movement back then, the radical tenant movement, was gay and lesbian activists, queer activists, uh, tenant activists, labor unions, the Catholic archdiocese. Interesting enough. And uh, and uh, involved in the tenants' rights movement in San Francisco back then, believe it or not, Jonestown. People's oh, yes, of course. Yeah. Yes, they were a reliable block of door knockers that the uh, Democratic machine in San Francisco used. Yeah. And they and Feinstein courted him. Jerry Brown courted him. Yeah, they, they, they gave courted him. him. They, yes, they yeah. gave him a plum job as on the Equal Rights Commission and then the Housing Commission. They, they, that is, they, they were played big, both sides of the housing. Yeah, they were a big progressive interest group. That, in the yeah. that is really disappointing to find out that Jim Jones worked with the Democratic Party. <laughs> I really admired him before. Yeah, this, when I thought yeah. he was a Soviet agent. Yeah, yeah believe it or not, our... Yes, the tennis rights movement SF was not uh, founded by Jim Jones or any of those people. Yes. They were just kind of hanging around. stipulate that. Yeah, yeah. But he was cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He wore boss outfits and he had neat glasses. Mm -hmm. 
and he dyed his hair black, which is boss. It's so cool to have soy sauce colored hair. <laughs> Can you imagine the logistical feat of hauling 1,500 senior citizens into the Guyanese wilderness? <laughs> oh my! We, and we, living there for a year—that's amazing. We can't get my grandmother to like a dinner party that's 30 miles from <laughs> I her mean, when we like seriously. call a cab for her. It's like when you have a wedding with too many old people in the family, you have to have it at the nursing yeah. home. Yeah, it's because like, the logistics involved in getting them all to the same place are too overpowering. Can you try to, try to get try to get try to get one of your grandparents just pull them aside and be like, "Could you say something that's like not racist at this dinner?" Now try imagine like, "Hey, we're going to move to Guyana for a year, and you're going to die there." Oh, okay. By the way, the Johnstown uh, massacre was bad. It was tragic, and it was a bad thing. And just because we're joking about it doesn't mean that we think the people dying had it coming or anything like that. Yeah, I just want to say on the behalf of the DSASF Housing Committee, we do not endorse the Jonestown Massacre. <laughs> I, I, w- I, w- I would like to say as a member of the Democratic Party, I do endorse the Jonestown Massacre. <laughs> this Again, this is I'm a, a super delegate. So uh, if you have a problem with me, endorsing, I endorse all massacres in history. If you have a problem with that, call my boss. Tom Perez. <laughs> well, anyway, I guess getting getting back to it. So, yeah, like San Francisco's real estate establishment has always been around. They've always had access to the levers of power. They've been checked by mass movements for tenant power, which is what's great about SS history of radicalism. Uh, uh, that today is is different. Um, you know, there's two really big phenomena that San Francisco has been hit with. Obviously, a tech boom, two tech booms, uh, which I think we all know about, goes without saying. But also, there's been this phenomenon in SF that the tech booms kind of amplified, uh, but it's happening in all American cities, which is you know sort of the creative class redevelopment, and that's named after this guy Richard Florida, who wrote Rise of the Creative Ooh. Class, and was just like, yeah, oh, when we bring in you know the the wine bar laundromats, and uh, that's a Richard real, Florida. that's real. There's- That's Duncan Idaho's brother. Riff, riff, riff of the day. Uh, special tour riff of the day. San Francisco housing credit goes to Matthew Christman. Yeah. I also get a small satchel of the spice melange. <laughs> So, so yeah, this phenomenon of creative class redevelopment, which still hasn't really, you know, it's 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 you see all these cities competing for Amazon and stuff. Which, yeah. by the way, when Amazon said no to San Francisco, I was like, thank fucking. All God. the cities are, are competing for creatives, like yeah, me. yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I I love that when I see people write about the creative economy, and I'm like, what a bunch of jagoffs, and I'm like, oh, that's literally me. Yeah. It's like, oh, they want me to come to their city to order Grubhub and scream God's plan into my microphone because <laughs> I stay inside seventy. <laughs> Eight hours a week. That's good. That's the economy now. That fucking rocks. What a stupid country. I can't wait till this country collapses. By the way, mayors, uh, Jabble Drivehouse is soliciting offers for our new plants, yeah, we're ma- our we're- new content factory. Uh, give us, show us what you got. Now, I, we've heard criticism from the NIMBYs who say that. You know your your content farm is just a McDonald's playpen, <laughs> but we're choosing not to entertain the haters. We're just we're trying to heal these cities. We've taken bids from Zagreb, Croatia, awesome, um, Donetsk, Ukraine, the Donetsk yes. People's Republic, Ukraine, of course, of course. Uh, and and of course Sinai, Yemen. Yes, and uh, Peter Thiel's. Uh, Undisclosed freedom barge in the Pacific Ocean. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's moving to LA, by the way. He's he's he really is. he was driven he's out over by the SF. Oh, he's like one of those guys who gets a tweet with like a hundred retweets, and he's like, oh, I think I could be a screenwriter. He's yeah. gonna move to LA. He's gonna be an LA fail guy. 
No, I know. He's starting a TV network. Someone told me about it. On the yeah, yeah. He's basically made the decision that if he really wants to change things, he should do it at the level of culture, no longer investment. Peter Thiel left San Francisco this year. J.D. Vance left San Francisco. What no! are we going to do? What How are we going to do? We have a city now. J.D. Vance. I know. Is- yeah, he went, he went back to the heartland. He's actually, well, he's from Ohio. I'm from Pittsburgh. He but uh, he's, he's currently, uh, I'm sure, wrecking my home area. He was flirting with running for governor. Senate. Senate. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I think it's looking murky right now if he's going to actually No, he, he's not going to do it. He said no. Yeah. yeah. So uh, he's just going to keep cranking out horseshit content he's, until he's, he inevitably gets a New York Times op-ed he's column. He's taking other San Francisco VCs on a tour of uh, Rust Belt cities. So that was oh, in the New York off. Times. Can it end? Fuck can, off! Can it end like deliverance, please? <laughs> Just these oh assholes God, just going, it. oh, man, we, there's so much human potential here. There's so much human power that we could yeah. mine. If That's we just, literally what they said. You're quoting the article. some knowledge and innovation starter into the flower of the common people here. We could have, we could have uh, coding farms from here to the edge of that holler. I'm, I, met this, I met this very inspiring young man uh, whose name is Jerry Duncan. He's stolen everybody's uh, <laughs> headphones in town. He has an entrepreneurial spirit. He was like, uh, yeah, no, the, the, that's, you guys literally just stated exactly all of the quotes from the VC people in that article. They were like, it's just so refreshing. It's like, everyone in San Francisco just wants to start, talk about their startup idea. I was like, have you gone outside and, and met? Any people like they can't even like meet people here. They have to go on a special safari. Yeah, they had with- to go to the Rust Belt. Like, go to a community of color for fuck's sake. There's a bunch of them here, although not for long if they have their way. But no, no, they have to go to the Rust Belt because when they say white working class, they just immediately picture like guys, white guys in overalls. <laughs> they have no. They just don't think anyone like if you're black, you're not working. No, you know what it is. You know what it is. It really. They have to go on it. They have to go on a tour with Hallie Joe Assmunch. That's what J.D. Vance looks like. He looks like Hallie Joe Osment. Look it up. Uh, second place rip of the day goes to me. I, I, People keep saying I look like Hallie Joe Osment. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. stop. No, but the reason that they turn, they fetishize white working class poverty like that is because those poor people aren't the people who fetch their shit. Yeah, yeah, macchiatos yeah. And drive their Ubers yeah. and actually supply them with labor in... Their urban lifestyles. Those people are people of color, and those relationships are very fraught with them. They don't. They rather not think about it. So they displace all of their class anxiety about having to be cheek to jowl with people who have much less than them by displacing it onto this mythical soot covered coal miner who they will never meet and never have any interaction with. They'll only see them behind like the the Pope glass on the truck that JD Vance is driving. (laughs) His Pope Mobile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll kind of say shit like, uh, as another thing I saw in the newspaper for some planning academic or some stuff. It's like, well, SF just isn't, you know, producing uh, the people for these jobs. So, uh, you know, we'll just have to keep importing them from elsewhere, which is a nice way of saying, like, tech companies don't hire black or brown people. Like, you know, we, we, tried, we tried developing the talent here, but they just kept turning up black. <laughs> it turns out that there's just something about a person who is uh, from a country that has a much lower standard of living and has left their family behind and has no connections in this country there's just something about those workers they really just they perform really well it's well, like they that, have that, that is, an extra that is, motivation that, that, they that, get that, it. that is the liberal immigration line because it, it's the same thing with like the most obnoxious remainers with brexit where it's like at a certain point you can tell they're just they're 
sort of masking their demand for visa guest workers that they can pay like 70 to 30 percent of the minimum wage with like no this is our you know this is our strength and it's like okay and that's you just you just want a pool of cheap labor you wouldn't grant them full rights you would never do that you would never grant them full labor protections yeah and that's why also like all of these now all of these tech billionaires and millionaires are like oh my god it, there looks like there's some problems here um so you know they're they're now they're now they're jumping in and trying to fix it in the naturally the most ass backwards way possible yeah you, you think about all that software you like how they patch it and they're like oh whoops we had a little back hole where we where we sent y- your ssn the ssn that will be assigned to your children we sent it to south sudan our bad. We patched it. Imagine that approach taken to the rest of the country. Patching America. America v. 0.832. Let's get back to housing. So what's uh, what else is going on? What's what's in the news? What's in the news? Um, besides just the general acceleration of displacement, I mean, I've told some fun stories about tech feudalism and all of the fun effects that it's having here. We're obviously in the middle of an unprecedented homeless cri- homelessness crisis. Yes. So. The UN special rapporteur on housing came here and basically said, "Like the, this is this is like Mumbai, or <laughs> yeah, she did. Like she lives at San Francisco is like Mumbai, um, which as an, as a, someone of Indian descent, I can appreciate. So no, San Francisco it's it's a very liberal place. Obviously, I assume all the supervisors are dem- are good Democrats, good progs. Yes, every single one of every them. single one of them. So why don't they just do the good things that Democrats promise to do? Yeah, I mean you have like because there's sort of a schism. So there is the progressives and the moderates. They're all Democrats. Everyone's Democrats. Everyone's sort of kowtowing towards like yeah, we believe in equality and justice and all of that stuff. Um, which especially in the Trump era, they've kind of used to score points. Right. Because uh, we're compared to the rest of the country. Everyone thinks this is like a progressive utopia. Um, But really, there's two factions. There's progressives. There's moderates. Moderates are way more of kind of your standard like chamber of commerce, realtors association. uh, And that's where a lot of the tech money has gone. So tech billionaires, including uh, the biggest, I think, individual donor to political campaigns is an angel investor in Airbnb and several other companies. His name is Ron Conway. You'll probably hear, might hear his name a lot when people are drunk and complaining about how this city's going to shit. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, tech, tech billionaires have now taken an outsized role in those campaigns, primarily, actually entirely on behalf of that sort of moderate pro-business chamber of commerce faction, where literally they'll just be like, oh, it's Wednesday, let me dump like $200,000 into a race. So we've uh, we've talked about the impact of developers, the impact of tech monsters. Uh, I'm told there's a new faction that has emerged, a grassroots movement to solve Hell, all yeah. of the housing crises in San Francisco. These are the people who saw the problem and said, let's build our way out. No more. Um, yeah. Uh, I believe you were referring to uh, some some people who love to tweet at me uh, called the uh, Yes in My Backyard. Yes, right? the Yimbies. Yeah. Um, they are for yes into something in their backyards. Uh, no, I mean, it, so yeah, I mean, I'm speaking my experiences only with California, 
But that is kind of, I think, where this sort of movement kind of germinated. And it's kind of become here this sort of classic centrist, like armchair technocratic solutionism. Mm -hmm. So it's mostly like, you know, it's kind of they got called libertarians a lot, but it's very sort of centrist liberal in a sense. That's the that's the left end of the tent. And then it's kind of infused with this Silicon Valley techno libertarian streak of we're going to growth hack housing. It's got a sprinkle of liberal like, you know, we know what's best for you do gooderism. But sometimes, especially online, it's articulated by some of the most fragile edgelords. Yes. So uh, I believe that San Francisco was patient zero for yimbyism, which has since spread through through many metropolitan areas. I know there's some in New York now, too. And these are people who have identified the problem as nimbyism, the not-in-my-backyard types, uh, who want to maintain their precious, quaint uh, neighborhoods with, you know, um, uh, uh, height limits on buildings and things like that. And that's why we don't have any progress here. We have to actually rip shit up and just, just build. Let us build more. People could fill all of those new units. How, what's so hard to understand about that? Yeah, it's a. Uh, it's those NIMBYs, by the way. Like they are, I will say, very real. I've been at hearings and heard them say all sorts of crazy stuff. Uh, they all that a lot of racism uh, sometimes. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, you know yeah. they'll they'll show up with power. Literal true story of this guy in Marin. They'll show up with a PowerPoint slideshows of like uh, MS thirteen uh, people. <laughs> Like that. Those guys get around, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so they're they're real, uh, but and they're just, but they're just like old school reactionaries. They're, they're old just school, like yeah. blue blood types who don't want poor people in the neighborhood. They want to lose their view or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They've been they've been around forever, and they're kind of like the beneficiaries of, of redlining. And redlining is a thing yeah. that you'll hear Yimbys talk about a lot, um, which is redlining is super important. It was basically this imposition of exclusionary mortgage lending, exclusionary zoning. Yes, which is something yeah. that they're. Really 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 big about but basically uh the housing discourse has become if you're not a yimby you're a nimby um and that's been fun for dsa because you know we've been doing the right thing by taking a fuck ton of heat from both of those sides which i think Mm -hmm. means we're 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 on the right track but yeah it's uh the way that they frame it is if you're you're if you're not a if you're not a yimby if you don't buy our specific development paradigm where the market knows best you're a nimby you're an obstructionist yeah, yeah, the two, yeah. <laughs> the two genders, uh, Nimby and Yimby, and uh, you know, I I get a lot of this uh, directed at me certainly uh, in DSA. But one of the things I wanted to highlight was a comrade just sent me this, um, and this is kind of I think indicative of their attitude. Here's something someone said. Uh, you know, this is a bill that they're pushing related to a bill they're pushing. Anyone who's following this bill knows that most tenant groups and anti-displacement groups, uh, communities of color, have come out in opposition to our bill. I appreciate their work, but these groups have utterly failed at their mission. We're just not going to do it their way anymore. Wow. Um, so, yeah, that, yeah. Take that big minority community organizations. Yeah, yeah. Those. We're not living under your thumb anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah. Those black and Latino tenants have just had it too good for too long. Move aside. <laughs> uh, so, Yimbyism, uh, well, answer me this, bleeding heart. Why can't we just build our way out of it? Yeah, uh, well, how do I put this? Uh, you know, the mode of production for housing, especially when you have a rabid land market and high demand areas like New York and Brooklyn, where you guys live, and San Francisco, where, where we I walk live, here. doesn't necessarily, uh, you know, asset 
markets and asset price speculation and human need kind of just don't really get along that well. And then you start to see things like uh, vacancies. You start to see things like overbuilding at the top end of the market, which is happening across American cities. It's not just San Francisco or New mm-hmm. York or like uh, it's happening across American cities. There's studies, you know, Harvard just came out with their housing survey and they're like, yep, um, developers, uh, landowners, et cetera, are incentivized to sell and build land at the very top end of the market. And uh, that's how we ended up with uh, our, our fail sons in the White House, by the way. Um, that's, a, <laughs> yeah. that's a good example of some developer and landowner so behavior. You're, you're telling me if we don't give, if, if we gave Jared Kushner a carte blanche to build a hundred story skyscraper and plop it in the middle of Haight Ashbury, that would not solve homelessness? Is, do you think the Williamsburg waterfront has solved homelessness? I would say no. Yes. Uh, yeah, but those are great places to store all of those uh, Bravo reality show contestants. <laughs> yes. Every one of those shows, they just buy an entire floor of one of those undersold condos and have them all be just go, I'm not here to make friends while I make this fucking bruschetta. Well, I mean, the, the interesting thing, that I, the, what you were telling me about uh, when we were talking about this the other night is like the the Yimbies are all like liberals in good stead, and they're all very yeah. progressive, and they all think of themselves as like you know liberal and anti-racist, and they hate poverty and like you know systemic uh, the systemic disenfranchisement and poverty of African Americans in this country. But they've convinced themselves that the, that this de- development is what is going to finally crack the 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 aching and systemic problem of like the legacy of redlining in housing and cities. Exactly. So they And like so like what what by their calculus like how will that be achieved if we let real estate developers do whatever they want? It's pretty simple, you know, even they what if they built a luxury housing tower, eventually those prices will go down. They they won't leave it vacant or anything yeah it's not when it becomes like jg like ballard's high rise the rents will yes, slowly that's, no, creep that, back that's down a, that's a good point because it's not like you build all of this luxury housing and absentee billionaires just buy it up because it's a it's a great way to store your wealth that's never happened in a major metropolitan not area. at all no, not like never. new york or london there also, aren't entire neighborhoods that are completely empty and every single unit is a speculative asset for the fail son of some russian oligarch also, what's extra ironic is, uh, so we have something in SF called the Anti-Eviction Mapping Project. They're pretty cool. My co-chair is a member of them. Um, but uh, they've done some calculations because, you know, there's obviously with financialized real estate capital being internationally leveraged, being this sort of phenomenon that you can't track, it's securitized, it's sliced and diced into derivatives and all of that stuff. At the same time, you also still see this phenomenon of uh, some of the buyers of uh, vacant units in San Francisco are actually the NIMBYs that they're complaining about who are living outside of SF and sort of places like Marin County and et cetera, it's literally just a, a human centipede of investment, <laughs> like just feeding itself. It is a dialectic. It is a negative dialectic. So these are, I mean, you say these are good liberal people, but I, I when I hear about YIMBYs online, I also see a lot of like ANCAP type cranks. Yes. Like just totally... Weird a social. If, correct me if I'm wrong, but Justine Tunney became a Yimby. Yes, yes, she did. Um, there is a there is a strong ANCAP streak, and I think it comes from that sort of Silicon Valley techno libertarianism yeah. to an extent. But it's also, I mean, they're they're the founder of the movement. Um, used to kind of hang out in some libertarian circles, although she disputes that now because she's running for office. Uh, but but one of the things that uh, the most the quotes that really got out there about her, one of her most famous or infamous quotes, rather, if you will, um, is. 
is a uh, gentrification is the revaluation of black land to its correct price. Yeah. But 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 the general idea is, you know, okay, so the dichotomy that they're trying to present is you have to choose between the NIMBYs, the petty bourgeois homeowners who are betting on real estate. Jets and sharks, yeah. Yeah, jets and sharks, NIMBY, petty bourgeois homeowners in one corner betting on real estate to access capital, and then the YIMBYs, the big bourgeois developers who are reinvesting their surpluses. But you you gotta be one. You gotta choose one. Yeah, uh if you um Team NIMBY, by the way. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I got an idea. It's a crazy idea. How about we decommodify housing? I know, right? Uh, then they'll tell you what they tell me all the time, which is, but first, the revolution. That's a. I know, but it's just so frustrating because ground rent is pure parasitism. Yes. It is the pure par- It can't even be justified on capitalist grounds. You're not doing anything. You're not contributing. You're literally just absorbing land value fluctuations that are due to investments that have nothing to do with you. You're a pure parasite. You are a fat dick. Been screaming this into the void for a couple of years now. But but that's that's exactly it too. But the way that you can kind of tell is like because there is that centrist liberal sort of mindset too, like we're good San Franciscans, we believe in equality and tolerance, etc. You'll hear people saying, "Well, yeah, I would support social housing or public housing if you have uh you know a, a plan for it uh, i i do support rent control in theory um or i would like some rent control you know it's not always bad it's a price distortion etc you know a vacancy tax like that that probably might be good you know but it's always you know we would support this in theory but then you know california like i mentioned before has this rich history of tenants rights organizations Groups and communities of color, not just in SF, but also in LA, has been really like with groups like Defend Boyle Heights. Um, you, you are really seeing this new renewed radicalism from young people and communities of color, and that just gets totally wiped aside. It's like we can't question development capital. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, there's an unwillingness to challenge its logic. Right. And- we, 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 the, the housing has to be dictated by the market. That's yeah. the only proper way to organize urban areas. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, you know, the market will sort most of this out. They're basically, the idea is like maybe some poor people at the bottom, which, I mean, I guess you haven't been paying attention to income inequality or the fact that blacks and Latinos are not going to have any wealth in the next 20 or 30 years. That was from Forbes, by the way. But, like, uh, I guess you're not paying attention to the hell world that's around us where you're thinking the market will take care of most of this. We'll build well, a little just, subsidized you, housing for right. the poor. But, all you, know. you people freaking out about this and thinking this is a horrible future, you must be the weirdos who watch the Dread movies and think this looks awful. <laughs> because Mega City 1 in either the Stallone or the Keith Urban version looks really cool. Those giant fucking automated towers... They've got all your conveniences there. There's amazing drugs that make time slow down. It looks fantastic. I love learning how to code when I'm 12. So <laughs> in the next 20 years of my life, I can make Final Fantasy VII a reality. <laughs> I, lo- I love taking my buster sword to work. Well, what were you guys talking about the show? Powder Mountain? Yeah, yeah. It's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so Powder good to Mountain. see you, brother. How are you living? Yes. So uh, the other thing about Yimmy is like just them. It's a small group of people, but I guess it's like kind of steadily getting larger. Yeah. Uh, or at the very least, louder and dumber. Uh, Very online, and there, yeah, and there's there's this weird attempt to make Yimbyism seem cool. Yes, and there are, there are these Yimby meme groups 
on Facebook. One is called Yimby Memes for Developer Shill Teams. <laughs> and uh, here, here's one of those. It's, I didn't even know about that one. They it's let me in that it's one. Uh, Mr. Rogers putting his shoes on and he goes, Hello, friends. I'm putting my shoes on to go down to City Hall because I received a notice in the mail about a zone change in the neighborhood. And I want to say yes in my backyard. It's like they saw like those, you know, DSA, the dankest of the dank memes pages, and we're like, how can we make this wordier? And <laughs> yeah. No, that's politics? a real. That's a because the 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 2016 election gave birth to social. I would call the broadly social democrat memes, taking memes out of the gutter of the nihilistic churn of the internet and turning it into a vehicle for broad social democracy, thanks to the Bernie campaign, right? And those are like, yeah, dank means stash and all that shit. And that has arisen sort of a consciousness among neoliberals of themselves as a class. And then that gives them the corresponding desire to have their own version of those memes. Some of them put them in their Twitter handles. Yeah. Too. So you've got now our neoliberalism yeah, yeah. Uh, on Reddit and you have these efforts to create memes for <laughs> centrists. It's like, uh, yeah, like people, uh, I think uh, Peter Gowan from the Peter's, uh, People's Policy Project made this joke, so I can't, I got to attribute it to him, but he was like, who are all these people coming at me on Twitter? The name's like Deregulation Dennis and the Zoning Wig. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's well, a good we, sign, though, because a few years ago, these people, it wouldn't make sense to them to identify that way. No. They would say, I'm a liberal. What are you talking about? You know, I'm a progressive. That would be good enough for them. They wouldn't think that their specific ideology even had a name. Right, right. Now they have an understanding of it, and they're creating a, a, a culture around it, including memes. But that means that they have to defend it. It's not assumed, and it is so indefensible that their memes are weak and not, in fact, dank. <laughs> us the memes. Give us the memes. And, and that culture kind of is like, it, it's good, it's insulating in a way, because obviously, like, yeah, the, the, the good thing that they are doing is basically be like, hey, NIMBYs suck, but we're all saying that. Those, those people yeah. suck. Yeah, if a guy puts MS-13 in his PowerPoint presentation at the planning commission, everything I've said is real, including the wine laundromat, by the way. Um, but, you know, once you, once you kind of get beyond that, that also insulates you from having to do things like organize in communities of color. Yeah. Like figure out that maybe most of the housing that we're advocating for building isn't going to meet those communities or that it's going to indirectly displace them. And I think one good thing that they kept talking about or fa- one of their favorite things to say, although they say less now, is Obama is a Yimby. And I think that's really relevant <laughs> Because I heard from some some housing activists in South in Chicago where he's building his presidential library that you know in my neighborhood yeah, yeah there yeah there you go and and there uh, so uh, people there activists there are doing what Obama apparently what he used to do uh, they're lobbying for community benefits agreement they're yeah. saying you're going to build this center here there's going to be rising property values people are going to be evicted we want a property tax freeze for the small businesses like bodegas and stuff so they don't get kicked out mm-hmm. for like kombucha breweries and like we want you know we want some like community investments so that we can help stabilize people in lower income housing etc cetera, etc cetera. and obama was like nah like f- fuck it like he's he's just like no it'll you know what like the 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 jobs that the center is creating are gonna be fine like if your rents go up then uh then uh, then that'll take care of it it'll trickle down to you and and he literally said that like this last week wow. yep. and uh, immediately um some local landlord who's also a reverend, I believe, and and he's uh, uh, he 
was also opposing on behalf of Obama. He sided with Obama and said, opposing, let's oppose this community benefits agreement. You know, it's going to be great. Uh, uh, he raised the rent immediately on his tenants by like something like $200 overall. Like that's, that's perfect. When they say Obama is the NBA, like that's what happens when you just say extracting concessions from capital is bad. Negotiating mm-hmm. with developers is bad because you we need to expedite housing at all costs. Hyde Park, actually, it's like an interesting case study in all this because, yeah, I, I grew up there and it was always like an extremely well stratified place because it's the uh, little mini green zone on the south side of Chicago because of the University of Chicago being there. Uh, you know, you can't have any of the rampant crime surrounding the Milton Friedman Center for Torturing the Poor, or <laughs> the Augusta Pinochet Center for Democracy <laughs> that they have that they have at U Chicago. But uh, it was all yeah no every it was always like an extremely rich place, but there were pockets of like these black owned businesses, these sort of some worker cooperatives and some things that were like actually interesting, actually had like their own identity. Like I've talked about Bon Santé, the sort of Hotep Light health food store, and there were ton- there was like this very interesting like neighborhood character that existed in between the pockets of NPR listener jerk offs <laughs> like my family, and uh, <laughs> uh, uh, and but it was the all the thinking was always like well you know how how why would you even gentrify this place you're in a green zone in like one of the richest neighborhoods in Chicago surrounded by some of the poorest most dangerous parts, uh, but. Uh, then they somehow did it. They did it. They kicked out like all pretty much every black owned business that had like any type of like neighborhood characteristic that was interesting that made the place more than just a fucking Rhodesia for assistant professors. <laughs> and, 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 and we had this on 53rd. <laughs> God damn. And, and on 53rd Street, it was that. 53rd Street was four blocks from where I grew up, and it was where all, say, like, the plurality of the interesting things were. And they tore everything down, and they put up this disgusting glass steel monstrosity so they could have, like, an Akira shoe store. They could have a a fucking Chipotle. They could have another fucking Starbucks. They... The U, U Chicago worked together with the developers to just re- redline everything and streamline everything and efficiently push out everything that was that wasn't just owned by people like the U, U Chicago higher administration. And now, yeah, I guess they're doing the coup de gras. The body's on the ground, and they want to put two fo- in the head. Yeah, yeah, and Obama's helping them. That's the phenomenon that it's just fundamentally like not there. Which is that the same neighborhoods, the exact same neighborhoods in San Francisco, in Chicago, in New York, et cetera, the same neighborhoods that were redlined, those communities of color, those black communities, Latino communities, Asian communities, et cetera, they are now... What's reversed is that white people didn't want to live there before. They yes. all want to live there now. That's exactly what happened to Bushwick. Bushwick was a working-class white Catholic neighborhood in the post-war era and uh, redlining was deemed uh, unconstitutional. Right. And so realtors did a different tack, and they did blockbusting. Yeah. So they moved black people in, or, you know, one of, their fam- uh, one of the famous tactics is um, uh, movie, uh, uh, paying a black woman to, to push a stroller around, things like that, to uh, scare these white people into moving to suburbs, which they did. Then uh, this... Then they basically got subprime mortgages, and then well, first they they bought out these uh, houses from the, from the white people who moved out at fire sale prices. Then they uh, sold them 
to people of color with subprime mortgages. That was also a big scandal in the 70s. It was the FHA scandal, which hit uh, Bushwick, Newark, and all those places. Uh, that led to the arson crisis in New York, where you're underwater, so just burn the place down. And at one point at Bushwick was one out of ten buildings rubble. And, Ladies and gentlemen, the Bronx is burning. Uh, that was destroyed, and, the, and the, the neighborhood only really started to come back when Ed Koch kept his campaign promise to actually build public housing there, like nice livable public housing there. And eventually it uh, led to today where it's you know rapidly being gentrified. Right, right. And that's the thing. It's that those neighborhoods, I think uh, someone in, I forget who called it blue lining, which I thought was really a, a good term, but it's the basically the idea that those same areas that were redlined are now subject to this like deluge, this flood of investment that they have no control over. And, and so the answer to this from the market urbanist or the NIMBY perspective is, well, we just, because of these NIMBY guys who aren't letting us build there and because they're, because of them, we got to get rid of control for everybody. So that means that these low income communities, you don't get to have a say yep. over what happens to you anymore. Uh, not yeah. even anymore. They've never had a say over yep. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, you know, forgive me if this seems a little too stereotypical, but it strikes me that a lot of these Yimbies are uh, poorly socialized individuals. <laughs> what gives you that idea? Well, they well, uh, sort of see things in a, uh, I don't know, a abstracted fashion? Yeah, removed, I, I mean, I, 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 I... Sort of an emotional distance? Well, I, I get this vibe that they conceive of housing as something that's sort of siloed off from everything else, and they can't really conceive of a community as an organic you know, structure that functions. Right, right. And uh, so they believe like, oh, yeah, a homelessness uh, ju- uh, or segregation upzone. Yeah. And then people move in and the market will take care of those problems because a house is just a place where you sleep, right? Right, right. Before you go to your tech job. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is that the, the, what's the premise of all this market-friendly stuff is that somehow people who are being left behind monetarily, people who have less by definition – are going to have access to housing that is going to be put on a market for a market price. How will they ever work? How will they ever be able to, to meet those criterion? Because it's always going to be moving towards the highest price point. That's what the market does. And it- the, the contradiction between the exchange and use value of property is the, one of the fundamental contradictions of capitalism. And using more capitalism on, to fix the fucking problem is just throwing gasoline on the fire. And it's fine if, you know, the character of the neighborhood fundamentally changes and minority-owned businesses shudder because uh, I don't have to go to a bodega. I can go to a Whole Foods. Well, that's what's I don't happening. have to go to, to a barber shop. I get my haircut from someone on Craigslist. I don't have to go anywhere because everything comes to me on a fucking <laughs> yeah. little drone buddy. <laughs> Comes through my window and he fucking cuts my hair and gives me a taquito. Well, as, as well, some uh, uh, famous Yimbies, I believe, include uh, Noah Schachtman. No, no, Noah Smith. No, oh, opinion. no opinion. No opinion. But I think I think the head Yimby. Smith, right? I think the I think the grand yeah. pooba of Yimby is is uh, one Matthew Iglesias. Maddie, friend, the rest friend of the show. The, one Matt of the Iglesias. fifteen fucking portfolios this fucking fraud in Mount Bank has tried to grab for himself over the course of his career. I fucking... Yeah, I follow this fucking asshole from his fucking pupil stages, and I know this motherfucker, he came out the gate, he was going to be a NETSEC guru for the new post-9-11 liberal interventionist Democratic Party. He wrote a book on that subject called Head in the Sand. That no one on earth bought, including Raphael Iglesias. And that didn't go. So then he was going to be for a while there the 
libertarian, uh, uh, nudgy deregulation guy. Housing. Right. He was going to be the sensible urbanist, the smart urbanist solutions, the market-based urbanist solutions to relieve environmental and and inequality problems in urban areas. That was his big idea. We're going to solve global warming and give everybody a home by using smart development. Then that's what he wrote. The rent is too damn high. Then I think he went to fucking slate and he was the macro econ guy. He was Mr. Fed. He was Mr. Quantitative fucking easing. He's just this constant churn of fucking portfolios to fucking mask his fundamental airheadedness and lack of knowledge about any of these things. So before you can kind of catch on to the fact that he's basically a fraud, he's moved on to a new fucking <laughs> fake uh, area of expertise. I can't wait till he becomes a Ukraine scholar well, and starts talking about like the eternal character of the Magyar oppressor. In, in his <laughs> in his defense, in I know his they de- didn't oppress Ukraine. Shut up. In his defense, when Matt Iglesias uh, gentrifies a neighborhood, he doesn't change the racial character because he wears the dreadlocks all the time. <laughs> Damn, son, where'd you find this? Maybe Riff of the Tour. It might be Riff of the Tour. Well, I mean, it's, it, Riff of the, that Riff of the Tour is up against one of the Steve Harveys I did. So. <laughs> and, you know, another one is probably Clara Jeffrey, who who actually, she came on my radar with this totally boneheaded discussion oh, yeah. of housing in Manhattan. And, you know, she's, she's against rent control because it means landlords aren't going to do any upkeep. To their building, oh, that, famous so upke- that famous upkeep. The upkeep that, that we that all know landlords love. love doing in Manhattan. Yeah, yeah. The, the, I was. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was at like a Costa Hawkins uh, rally, or rather, Costa Hawkins repeal. So uh, there was a bill to repeal Costa Hawkins, which is this law that limits rent control across California. Good. And uh, what the landlords were saying there was uh, not really about upkeep. Uh, they had signs that said. Uh, we don't take, um, you know, we don't make money off of drug revenues and welfare. Or, you know, uh, one of them told me, accosted me, and told me why, asked me why I was supporting rent control with DSA. And he said, uh, some of my best friends' employees are black. That's how that conversation ended. <laughs> charm offensive, baby. Yeah, exactly. Time to turn on that old well, that, Wiggum charm. Yeah, those are the landlords, uh, Claire Jeffries, lionizing the small business owners. If you will, you know that you know when you have diarrhea seeping through your walls, and <laughs> within eighteen months, someone gets back to you about scheduling an appointment at uh, five a.m. But say goodbye to that when rent control comes in. Sorry, real quick about uh, Clara Jeffrey. Uh, did you see the thing earlier? Uh, earlier, just this week. Where I believe it was uh, Emily Nussbaum and Jeb oh, Lund yeah. were, 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 were going back and forth. <laughs> we're going back and forth over the issue of you know whether we should uh, not be cynical about uh, whether the Parkland teens um, sort of uh, appropriate for themselves uh, Harry Potter or speak to well, these. They're not things. appropriating because that's literally well, who I mean, Harry pro- Potter is yeah, for. Yeah. You know, everyone was making fun of adults doing it, but she turned it into this uh, issue. Appropriating like, is in the right yeah. word, but like whether we should be cynical or not about the you know the fact that they, they say that. Oh, I'm inspired by Harry Potter to fight against the Voldemort NRA. I'm not quite sure. They were having a normal conversation about that. Clara butted in to complain that the same people who make fun of uh, her woke, quote-unquote, woke toddler tweets, where uh, she's like, uh, my son said, but but, mommy, B- Bernie Sanders isn't even a Democrat. <laughs> you know, the, the same people that make fun of her for that uh, are being like, hey, like, you know, take it easy on the Parkland kids. So Clara interjected herself in that conversation to complain that people like the Parkland kids, but not her asinine <laughs> tweets about her child. 
that her child isn't as praised as the Parkland teens. It's, it's interesting that people like uh, uh, the Soviet dog who died from going to space, and not my dog. Uh, Shandi, we're about out of time here, but Yimby's bad. Big developers bad. DSA what, good. No. Yeah. What is what? What is good? What is what should be the takeaway? A lot of our, our our listeners are in urban areas that face the exact same issues. And what do you think is a constructive thing that people should be doing in their communities? What is good is the first thing that you can do is if you are if you are near in an urban area, if you're near a tenants' rights organization, if you just even have a few hours a day to become a tenant counselor, learn what these needs are. I mean, yeah, like I I said, join DSA, but honestly, it's like no get on on the ground learn what gentrifying communities of color are going through mm-hmm. volunteer at a tenants rights organization if you only have a few minutes um, metro dc dsa if you're in dsa is putting together like they've had some awesome anti-eviction campaigns peg mclaughlin over there has been trying to put together something nationally so hopefully we'll have some kind of toolkit there even if even if uh, uh some of our members are the ones gentrifying that is correct listeners. but you know that's the difference that's the difference is acknowledge your complicity in this larger system yes. and start to do something about it if you don't take that step you that's how you're going to end up believing that the market is going to solve everything right I because mean, you I, don't talk to those yeah because it strikes me that yimbies are just one of the people who are just gentrifiers but don't feel guilty about it and think like oh i'm actually doing a good thing because i'm i'm engaging in the market yes or i'm fixing this you know i read about redlining it's bad but like you know it, it, you, that, that's the thing like they keep now they have some power they're writing bills on the state level and they are not consulting with any of these groups, any any group, any tenant group, any community of color, and then they get their surprise when those groups are like, "We don't want what you're giving us. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not the right way forward. Um, you need to listen to us and to listen to our needs." Um, and also, if you're in San Francisco, uh, one thing that DSA San Francisco has been working on a lot, uh, we are working on a ballot measure right now. Uh, so New York has a means-tested version of this, but if this ballot measure passes in June, we will be the first city to have a universal right to eviction council for wow. anyone living in the city. Doesn't matter how much money you're making. Doesn't matter if you're documented or undocumented. Doesn't matter. Universal right to council. And we have two months to basically close the deal on this. So we've been pretty busy. I just wanted to sit, pop in with the banal and ultimately pretty bourgeois observation that uh, all the new real estate-led development in these urban areas looks like total ass. Oh, that, my God. Oh, yeah. Terrible. Oh, yeah. is one among the many reasons that it should be stopped. Bring back Gaudi. Yeah. I saw a, uh, a Yimby meme the other day that was just, it was a, a picture of, you know, just like a street in San Francisco, you know, one of those inclined streets with the, the row houses, right? Yeah. Um, you know, very iconic look. And uh, that was the bad image. And the good image was that same block, but with two just cubic, hideous buildings Glass. going up to like eight stories just plopped in the this middle. This city there. looks like... That was a, the good... That was the, 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 it was like a Drake meme, and like Drake was loving it. That, I, this city, by the way, looks God. like a dollhouse that somebody blew up. Yeah. Talk about fucking... It's, it's a toy city. Talk about fucking... And it should continue looking like that those instead are fu- of... Those are literal 40-story glass Those are bug cubes. men. They I crave just, the idea of living in a fucking hive. Yeah, like... <laughs> they just... Their dream like, of existence is just everyone being absorbed into some sort of, like, <laughs> fucking uh, nanobite goo. You have more money... constituted. Yeah, you have more money than God, and you're like living in this box and like drinking like I don't know some kind of chemical really? sludge yeah, mixed with like uh, you know non fluoride water. It, I gotta it's, think, it's I think like it's the like internet, man. It's like fucking <laughs> lifestyles of the rich and famous. Switchel. 
it's like they're doing goon dorm first year in the dorm. <laughs> it's like, yeah, me and my friends, we all make seventeen million dollars a year. How, what, what is your lifestyle? Well, I've replaced all my meals with like a muscle milk that's shittier, uh, and uh, I just keep my door open, my dorm room door open. This is the first friends. generation of people who come into money, vast sums of world changing money, and were born in and around computers. They're trying to use the money to turn the world into the inside of a computer. A lot of these luxury housing buildings are, in addition to being hideous, incredibly shoddily constructed. And I guarantee in about 20 years, they're just going to start falling apart all over Williamsburg. Well, have you seen the Salesforce Tower? It's not the tallest oh building. It looks like a giant butt plug. <laughs> <laughs> Do they, I think that maybe they think that if like they live inside of the computer, they'll get to meet Mia Khalifa. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm on board. I mean, that's why uh, Ready Player One, we're going to have a lot to talk about because it really does seem like the id of these people turned into a film. Uh, Do you want me to order that ether off of Amazon? Yes. (laughs) So, uh, Shanti Singh, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an honor and a privilege. And Portland, Seattle, we'll see you soon. Yes. Both Both those shows are sold out, but if you don't pay money for a scalper, that uh, may or may not be an actual ticket. You're not a real fan. Unsubscribe. (laughs) Uh, Till next time. Bye. Bye.